1: where I can write down one or two or three things that I'm going to take away and do differently. And this wasn't that book. Um, and, and I love it even more because what this book makes me want to do going away is, is be a better human. Welcome back to another
0: episode of uh, The Junto. We are here today. We have a, an additional guest. Mr. Brian is with us. So we've got Nash, David, the originals, and we've got Brian, who has joined us. How are you today, sir? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you here. Very glad to see you, Brian. My nipples very happy. So (laughs)
1: uh,
0: today, if you're unaware, the Junto is... Basically, where we pick a book, we read it over the month, and then we get together and talk about things that stood out to us in that book. A book
2: <clears throat> club, somewhat. It say. might sound like a book club, yeah.
0: It's like a book club, but it's called the Junto because Benjamin Franklin himself deemed it worthy to be called the Junto and not the book club. So, because Trevor has some insecurities. <clears throat> well, he's smarter than all of us. So, we are today's book is called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it is an Spot incredible book. Thank you. It's an incredible book. Uh, he, it has sold over more than 12 million copies. 16. 60 million.
3: It's close. Oh. You need an updated copy. I think, I, think I need an, up- That's, an updated copy. Mine from 1958, I think.
0: Okay, so uh, back to the close. point here. It is, it's amazing. So What's Broad it about? Strokes, it's about a man who is in a uh, concentration camp the first half of the book is his Auschwitz, kind of experience in Auschwitz. And then he moves into two different ones later on. <clears throat> he obviously survives. He was he a psychologist before uh, before he was in the concentration camp. And then he later on completed his work, his life's work in logotherapy. And his. so the second half of the book is just kind of a little bit more in depth of what he kind of, um, like his his Theory, which is logotherapy and his time in the concentration camp basically just kind of solidified what he already kind of thought and what he had been working on his entire life. Um, It's a very, the first half is very shocking. Um, It's, it's very descriptive and it talks a lot about the concentration camp and his time there and what he saw. And then it, then it goes on and talking about his experiences later in life uh, and how he used logotherapy to help people and what what Logotherapy is. And so it's it's just kind of one of those books. It's kind of, in my opinion, it, it kind of became, the more I read, it was referenced so much, Victor was re, uh, referenced so much that it kind of became like um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was one of those books that I continued to see over and over and over again being referenced in other books. So I finally had to break down and read that, and that's kind of how I found and read uh, Man's Search for Meaning. This was my second time around because I'm, very wise and astute <laughs> individual Sorry, this was humble, absolutely humble. Absolutely don't absolutely forget humble I, would like say, I don't like to say i don't want to point that out i feel like it's too um i don't want to brag about how humble i am um so but none of you guys read it so how uh not quite as learned as you yeah you, you guys aren't learned dude so All right, so the format of this essentially is we're going to go around. We're going to talk about things that stuck out to us. We'll pick probably two since there's four of us now. And um, we're going to dive into the book. So who wants to go first?
1: Uh, I can go. All right, new guy, go first.
0: Brian, first off, new guy. Yes. Rookie. Brought. He brought Yingling, which was fantastic. So good job there. He also Uh, brought
3: printed. However. Notes. Big fan of. The long drink, just want to make that clear to any possible future sponsors that are Correct. listening here. Uh, we catch. all love long drink. Yes, quite
2: delicious.
0: We're all consuming it right now, and this should get more interesting when we get
1: about three more cans in. But you would take Yingling as a sponsor as well. I, You know, we would not turn them down. I mean, America's oldest brewery, yes. America's oldest brewery, That's And right. where yes.
0: is it brewed? Philadelphia. Where was the Junto created?
3: Oh my God! <laughs> oh, full circle comes back full circle. Nice. So yeah, we nice. need to work on that one as, as well. I agree. that's, no, that's he quality. Is, he so he
1: is learned. That's, <laughs> that's quality podcasting that's, that's right there. Solid. Yeah, I've done that's, my research, sir. <laughs> okay. Well, so Variety, yeah, I, I will up. go first. I'll tell you that uh, this. I keep a list of books I want to read, and this one's been on it for probably years, and so when you said, hey, we're going to do the June Junto on this book, would you like to do it? I, I really was pretty eager to do it, because I knew it would finally make me read this book. And, you're welcome. Uh, thank you, thank you.
2: Sometimes it takes doing that, though, because there are books that like, you're like, oh, I really want to read this, but you've got to be in the right mindset for this book. I will it's be... Not, this is not a... Yeah. It's an easy... Well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say an easy read. It's, it's not, short. Yeah, it's short. short it's quick, court. but it the first half is kind of emotionally draining because yeah. it's tough to get through. And then the second half is a little bit more cerebral and kind of like how he breaks down a lot of like the psychiatric yeah. terms. So it's one that you kind of have to not fight through, but you got to want to read it. It we was do. sitting
3: on my <clears throat> shelf for a long time. And we talked about this last time. I don't know if it made, made the podcast, but I had just finished mouse. Yeah. Which I got, I don't remember what forced me into that, but I felt like I had to jump into a man search for meaning and like keep the flow going because if I didn't, it it wasn't going to happen, right? Like you said, you've got to get in the right mindset. It's like what Schindler's List has been sitting in my queue for God knows how long. You
2: haven't seen Schindler's List? No,
3: I've seen it, but it's been 20 years and like, I want to watch it again, but like you got to mentally get there, right? Yeah, so that's heavy. how this book is too.
1: Yeah, very much so. Uh, but with that said, I absolutely loved it. I mean, it, it, I can see why it's been a life-changing book for so many people. The, uh, I had—I keep a quotes too that, that, I, that are profound, I think are profound. And one of them that I have always kept was from this book, and it is, uh, it, it is this one. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And that in my mind, I mean, that's kind of the sum of the whole book right there. If you had to boil it down to one sentence, it would be that quote. And, and that's, and, and man, that is what the book is all about is how he maintains his attitude in the concentration camp. When so many people don't, so many people die of just despair and of just giving up and he manages to make it through and, ends up writing this powerful book based on a theory that he had when he, like Stephen said, when he went into the concentration camp. The manuscript
2: that he lost, which he said is kind of the driving factor that kind of kept him going the whole time was he wanted to rewrite that manuscript that they took from him the first day that he got to Auschwitz.
1: Yeah. And that was one of the things that was amazing to me about it is that he was a test subject for his own hypothesis, right? He went into this thing with a hypothesis on this thing called Logo, Therapy. Logo is Greek for uh, meaning, right? Which in a nutshell means you have to have meaning in life to, to go right. on. And if you have meaning, you can get through any set of conditions. And so he had that theory going in, and then he's subjected to these just unthinkable conditions, and that's what sustains him and, and, and gets him out. Pretty incredible.
3: I had never heard of this book before. I had not heard of Viktor Frankl. <coughs> Excuse me. What's his name, Stephen?
0: Viktor Frankl.
3: Thank you. <laughs> And I saw Brian recently and he asked about the podcast and how things were going and what we're going to be talking about next. And I I told him the book that I was ignorant on and Brian literally pulled out his phone and pulled up his (laughs) notes app and said, Oh, I love that guy. Let me read you a quote of his that I like. And I'm just blown away. I'm like, what? (laughs) Amazing. Right? So yeah, there is so much work in here that is obviously world famous that I can't believe I was clueless on. And I actually highlighted the same thing that you had there. I mean, good Lord, how strong is that?
0: It puts it in a perspective that really kind of stuck with me and uh, and how horrible it was. And so he talks about going up to, um, he's in this room and and there's an older man there and he's having a nightmare. He's asleep and he's having a nightmare he said he was obviously having a horrible nightmare. And so he goes, I wanted to wake the poor man. Suddenly I drew back the hand, which was ready to shake him frightened at the thing I was about to do. At that moment, I became intensely conscious of the fact that no dream, no matter how horrible could be as bad as the reality of the camp, which surrounded us and to which I was about to recall him. And I don't know. It kind of gives me chills just thinking like, to to know that you like I don't even just even having that reaction of like man I this guy's obviously having a horrible nightmare he's, he's moving around he's shaking he's screaming and there's no way that me waking him is better than what he's going through and that just to me really
2: even nightmares were a reprieve
0: speaks volumes as to what they went through and how just god awful i mean it's just nothing Nothing can get close to that and, and help us get our mind to wrap around
1: what it all, all the stuff that they went through. So that's what uh, Nash was talking about when he talks about how heavy it is. And I mean, you, you could, you, it's short enough that you could sit down and read the whole thing in a setting or at least the first half about, but you can't. Mm-hmm. No. Because you have to you just sort spot. You, you feel like
2: it's, it's not, you can't fully appreciate and grasp it unless you Kind of take it in pieces. You
1: have to sit and let it because, sink and he in. talks
2: about this in the book. Of one of the first things that you go through is apathy, and that's what you see in a lot of the prisoners in Auschwitz was just sheer apathy, and that's that's how they would cope was you just stop feeling everything, mm-hmm. and you don't want to do that with a book like this because you want to be able to try to put yourself into that position as much as possible so that you can wrap your mind around what they're going through because yeah. it is it's it's a it's just a kind of very a tough place to be at
1: yeah it's uh you know you hear the phrase man's inhumanity to man i mean it is it is just so striking and disturbing to read how horrible men can be to other men and you know he he was actually in four concentration camps so it's not like it was just one that was bad they were they were all horrible, and so the experiences he talks about are just incomprehensible. Right? They got five ounces of bread, five ounces of bread for four days. He said all we possessed was our naked existence. He talks about when they were they slept naked on a board with nine men that was about the size of a four by eight piece of plywood. Nine men. They had to sleep sideways, naked. He said, and they huddled together to stay warm because it was cold. They had one blanket for all nine of them. He said they would, use, they would use their muddy shoes as a pillow, which if they got caught doing that, they got beat. They weren't even supposed to do that, but they were so desperate for something to put their head on, they would use their muddy boots. And then the story he told, this was so jarring, about transporting raw sewage. Do you remember that? They would have to transport the raw sewage Oh yeah. Out to throw it away and it would splash on your face in the process of getting it transported. And if you tried to clean, throw up or clean it off of yourself, the guards would beat you. You had to just just sit live with it there. And, uh, and cannibalism in one of the camps he talked about, they were, they would pick off the dead body parts of prisoners that had died and boil them and eat the meat because it's just all they had. Uh, You can't even get your mind around that kind of a, how horrible, horrible that situation must be. No, that's awful. This is getting dark fast. Yeah.
0: No, man, it's, it's, but, you, but that's the thing though, is you have to kind of be, you have to understand and, and try, and you have to go there. You have to get to that point because the point of the second half of the book and that, and his whole theory is like, even in the darkest, most horrific situations your mindset and you, how you choose to react and how you choose to, uh, your your attitude and, and the way you react to that world or that surrounding, no matter how dark it is, is can make all the difference. So if if his mindset can keep him from and he can hold on to the meaning even through that, then what, you know, for all of us who are not going through that and you, you know, Man, that, that my struggles pale in comparison to that. It gives you, I think, it kind of in a weird way, it kind of gives you hope of like, man, this this guy figured something out that really made a difference in like the worst imaginable con- conditions. So that, I, you just have well, to. That,
2: that actually kind of goes to one of my points that I I wrote down, and it, he talks about it a little bit more in the second portion. And he says, you know, do something hard because it's hard. And he talks about how. He said, what he did, he said he polled some European students and then American students and he said the rate of depression was like 60% for American students and 20 some odd percent for the Europeans and he goes it's because life was too, it's too easy. He goes you find meaning in struggle. Mm-hmm. And obviously not to the extent of hey you need to go to a concentration camp to find it. But sure. just doing doing something to get you outside of your norm that because he talks about, you know, the rate of depression and anxiety on Sundays because you start to realize how boring your normal life is. And you kind of sink into that, that ease that it's like you almost need to struggle a little bit just to help find purpose and meaning. And I, I liked that a lot. I thought that was, that was pretty fascinating. He said, you know, with automation coming up, he goes, it's going to be tough for a lot of people with all that extra free time to find what they want to do with their life.
1: Yeah, and, and but to your point, he, he, I I went down the Victor Frankel rabbit hole, and I watched him interviewed, and I listened to another podcast. I really got into this. Wait, this what? Subject. Yes, I know there are other podcasts. No, it wasn't not. nearly as good as this. <laughs> of course. <one. laughs> well, you're not on those, so you're <laughs> right. right. <better. laughs> Be careful. But uh, he, he he said people have come up to him and almost felt guilty. Like I was depressed because I have these struggles. And after hearing you, they're nothing compared to yours. And he said, what I've realized in life is that everyone has their own Auschwitz. And that's what you have to work through. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty profound, right?
3: Yeah. So that's one of the things he mentioned in the book. And I think it <clears throat> was Dostoevsky pronunciation. Nailed
1: it. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> nailed it.
3: Nailed it. So, Dostoevsky. I'll get out of here. So you didn't get it. One of the things that he reinforced was that a man can get used to anything. So whether that reality is, you know, you've got a hard job or you're stuck in a concentration camp or you're in a bad relationship, like you get used to whatever you're dealing with. And I think there's so much to learn there because things are going to get hard. You're going to have good times, you're going to have bad times, but as humans, we adapt. And that's what we saw from here, is that people adapted, and especially the people that had a reason to, right? If they had a meaning or a belief, it was much easier to adapt for these guys. Um, And that's why we see that, you know, people get depressed over social media. Every single day. Right. And, and how easy do we have it as humans compared to what we just read in this book? Well, he talks about the
2: constant setting the bar at true happiness all the time is such an unattainable goal that mm. you're setting yourself up for struggle and failure because you're not supposed to be happy all the time. Happy is supposed to be. That's the high moment you know yeah there's roller it's emotions are a roller coaster you have your ups and your downs and to say that i need to be happy all the time
3: it's not real life it's well it's not yeah it's not feasible like
2: that's well and it's also
3: supposed to have seasons yeah it's also crazy to me that people
0: say well i'm supposed to be happy they they think they're supposed to be happy all the time and then when because they're not or when they're not because that's inevitable then it's a failure they start to think that something's wrong with them yeah Maybe I'm clinically depressed. Maybe I need medication. And I'm not, am I, am in no way, I'm, I am on antidepressants. So I'm not in against that at all, but there is a, there's a difference. You yes. know, there's a difference in someone that is clinically like you're going to have to get a medicine because there's no way your brain's getting out of that thing. Other than just like, you know what? My, my father, mother, my grandmother just died. Okay. Well, you're supposed to feel sad. Like you're not supposed to be able happy right now it's okay. You're okay to feel other emotions. It's totally normal that you had something very bad happen and you're and you're going to react to that. That's, that's fine. And it's going to take time to get over that.
2: Well, you're not going to appreciate the happy moments if you don't know what sad feels like.
1: Right. Yeah. And here's what I thought was the most profound, profound thoughts that he has on happiness. And it is that happiness isn't a pursuit. Success isn't a pursuit. Right. And that's, sounds a little uh, contra-conventional to us as Americans right we have a right to p- the pursuit of happiness but h- his argument is happiness isn't a pursuit it's the result of pursuing something meaningful right yep. whether whether it's a, a meaningful relationship or a vocation or something that something that gives your life purpose and pursue that and happiness or success Will come about as a result of that, but if you pursue happiness for its own sake, it, it it's, elusive, it's unachievable. yeah. right?
2: <clears throat> and I, I like how he because he broke it down. He he kind of future paced one of his clients, and, and she goes, "Well, I don't know what you know what my meaning is." <clears throat> and I think Stephen, we've talked about this before. Of just you know, th- there are times <clears throat> where. It is tough to say, like, what, what's your meaning right now? Like, wh- what is it? Because to define that and to, to have your, your elevator speech, like, this is, this is my purpose. That's a very tough thing to, to verbalize and to, to you know, kind of manifest. But I like how he said, okay, you're on your deathbed. Not right now. You're 80 years old. You're on your deathbed. What was important to you? Like, talk me through your life. And then the woman was instantly able to go. Oh my! My son was—he uh, was successful, and I had a great relationship. with and she starts rattling off all these things that that are in her mind important things on her deathbed. Well, and
1: she had a paraplegic son who was who was going to die gonna before c- she was. Yeah, right? She and wanted
2: she- to commit suicide, and he, and he didn't want her to. Yeah. Because he was like, "No, I have. I enjoy life. I want to keep going." And it was in that moment that it mm. kind of clicked, where you're like, "Oh, okay." You know, set set the pursuit of happiness and what's your you know next week's goal that's important and you need to have those but if you look back 80 years down the road and then look in hindsight your sales goal for next week means dick all you're not going to remember that like that's not going to be something on your deathbed that you go oh man I'm glad I I sold 10 houses last week cool like that that means nothing but How did you impact the lives around you? How was your family? Who were the relationships that you had with people? How did you make other people feel? Those are all things I think that kind of stick with you. And I feel like if you ask, if you were to go to a retirement home and sit down with most people who are quite literally in their deathbed, those are the things they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about family. They're going to talk about, you know, legacy. They're not going to talk about the time they hit a home run. Right. I mean, maybe the dementia ones might. Have little flashbacks
3: to it, but to y'all's yeah. point about the happiness and I don't success I was needed. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> he said, "The more you aim at it, the more you're going to miss. Mm-hmm. If it's a target, it's not going to happen, and it has to be an unintended side effect of your dedication to a greater cause, something bigger than yourself." Bingo. And you know, I highlighted that to really not necessarily remember it, but try and dive a little bit deeper into it and make sure that I fully understood it for what it was. Right. And to what you said, Nash, you know, the more you think about it, the more you look back. I mean, I can answer that the memories are always in the pursuit, right? It's not necessarily the end result. It's more of the pursuit and the fun you were having and the joy than it is the end result which- or the suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Or the suck, mm-hmm. which yeah. comes we as unintended side effects. Yeah, when you're when you're not
0: in it anymore, it's it's great. You you look back and it's you know I I think back. So if there's show Meat Eater. I don't know if you've ever watched it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's great. He talks about so it's it's he's just a big hunter and stuff. But he talks about like you know some of my favorite most stories ones. and most rewarding trips were the worst trips. They were the worst weather. They were the worst everything. But we still got the target, whatever elk, whatever it was they were trying to kill. But he's like, two of us got food poisoning and two other guys almost died of hypothermia. And like we had, we got rained on the entire time. It was just miserable, miserable conditions. But then we got, we came away from it because we felt, we felt more fulfilled. We, we earned what we got. We earned that trip, you know, like we made it through it. We pushed through. He's like the ones that nothing bad ever happens is super easy and wonderful. And just very simple. He's like, those are, you just don't remember those. Those aren't the stories you tell. And I think that I agree. I think that's, that's something, it doesn't always have to be happiness. And I think he no. talks about that too, is no, the no. suffering and you can own the suffering and that can be rewarding.
3: It multiplies the emotions. <clears throat> it makes everything so much more important because there was that struggle. You had to fight for it.
2: I think struggle is important for people. Like that, that's one Absolutely. of those that you, you need to struggle. We, we need more, that we need yeah. more yeah. of that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, you talk about the stuff we're going through now, right? And that the softer you get, the weaker you get, and that there needs to be more struggle so that you enjoy the happiness even more. You appreciate what you have. And as our lives get easier, and I'm not going to turn this into a history podcast, but you look back over time and every empire that got to the top got softer and softer and softer and less and less struggle. And then eventually it crumbles, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, this wasn't in the book, uh, but it's a, a, a story I heard that stuck with me. And It was about the first, the first biosphere, right? So they built this perfect environment, and all the plants were falling over. They would grow to a certain height and fall over, and it's because there was no wind. The plants didn't, their roots didn't grow down deep because there was no wind.
2: The stalks aren't strong enough. They're not well, meant to resist. Yeah, exactly. They they, ha- they, had they, can't no bear fruit. they can't bear fruit because they can't support the weight.
1: No. Exactly.
3: So my first note that I had in this book was, and we kind of got into it a little bit earlier, but he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Mm -hmm. And I think that was kind of the main theory that he had going in, which is this meaning of life, right? The logotherapy. And I think this has become catchy recently, at least in the business world, And there's so many books now. You hear that all. Focus on the why, right? And and that's what what the training goes back to. Absolutely. I can't tell you. Well, we've all read that book. Yeah, not a bad book. uh, I can't (laughs) tell you how many books I've read that I thought were fabulous, right? And then here's Victor from Mm -hmm. the 1920s or 30s talking about having a why. And it's the reason that they lived, right? And it's so powerful and it's such a good reminder to realize that
2: He needs
3: a long drink. Yeah, I can't pull away from the microphone. (laughs) Oh, you don't need to shake it. Jesus Christ. You don't treat a long drink like that. I'm in the middle of a beautiful point. Okay, start it over. As I was saying. (laughs) (laughs) You just say that
1: again. Yeah.
3: What are we saying? Mm. The long drink is our why. There it is. Um, But yeah, I, I truly believe, and... Victor backed it up, so thanks. But you can do anything. You were the first. Absolutely. I think I was. You can achieve anything if your why is strong enough, and you can go through any hell, which he did, right, if you have meaning.
2: And this is, I don't think it was this book, but I, having one of the courses I took in college with a history degree was Nazi Germany. Mm. So I've read a ton of firsthand accounts of... Kill camps, work camps, all this. And one of the things that they, like a repeating theme in all of them, and and I've always appreciated it, was the why is always a big one for everybody. It's always been the why. But, and he does mention this a little bit, it's not a airy-fairy, necessarily super positive why. Because he goes, there were two people that almost never made it. And it was the mm, ones who yeah, are yeah. super negative, and the ones who are super positive. He was like, the ones who didn't think they could make it didn't make didn't. it, and the ones who thought, you know what, the you know the Americans are coming, the Russians are coming, they're going to be here, they're going to be here by Thanksgiving, they're going to be here by Thanksgiving, they're going to be here by Christmas. Like if they put a date on it and were like, screwed, yeah, you're gonna they're gonna be here in two weeks. Yeah, those people never made it because yeah. he goes, they didn't they didn't just take it day by day and weren't just there. They weren't living. They were, they were, they put this goal there that was a little bit out of their, obviously out of their control that they had. And they, they clung to it, hoping that that would be their why. And I and think it was
0: too devastating. Yes. And, <clears throat> when yeah, and then when it
2: happen. didn't come, it was like, well, <clears throat> give, give me those cigarettes.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I think, that, I think that's a really interesting almost dichotomy in this book that 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 I put in my notes you know because he 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 is a big believer in a positive attitude he says a positive attitude enables a person to endure suffering and disappointment as well as enhance enjoyment and satisfaction while a negative attitude intensifies pain and deepens disappointments it may even lead to depression or physical illness so you think okay a positive attitude that's good but he said exactly what you said which is the optimist's were some of the first to die. The ones who were so optimistic that they thought, yeah, the Americans are going to be here by Christmas. The Allies will be here by Christmas. We'll be out by Christmas. We'll be out by New Year's. And then it didn't happen, and they became so depressed that they died. And it reminded me of uh, Good to Great, right? In Good to Great, they talked about the Stockdale Paradox. Stockdale was a POW in Vietnam, and he said the exact same thing. He said the optimists were the first to die. You had to... You had to have optimism while at the same time accepting the it needs to be like a grounded the, optimism the reality yes. of your situation, a grounded optimism <clears throat> that's a good way to say it and uh and then good to great they called that the stockdale paradox and i and that's exactly what Frankel was talking about here i thought you've Th- got to see the reality while choosing positivity
3: <clears throat> right and and he talks about this multiple times and it kind of goes back to your fir- first point of. What cannot be taken away from man, and it's your freedom to react to the situation. And it's not blind optimism, but it's choosing to find the good and remain positive and have that outlook, no matter what the situation is, but not being blind to your reality. When he looked at it, at his, his
2: optimism was, I'm going to get through this so that I can finish my manuscript. And that was his why. That was his push, was I'm going to get through this so that I can...
3: Redo. You would think you would have had it figured out by now. Sorry, we at the end of another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying you're done. Your time is up. Brian, thanks for coming. It's good seeing you. you. Don't have to go
2: home. We just got to get the fuck out of here.
0: <laughs> so I think that some. <clears throat> I think if you take some, you know, if you take grounded optimism or, or you can't, or you say you can't be too optimistic. I think that <clears throat> I think there is a difference between having hope. <clears throat> and just being optimistic, and I think he, I couldn't find it quick enough, but I do think he goes into a little bit of that where he explains <clears throat> some of these guys, even though they were optimistic, they didn't have meaning. They didn't have a, an actual why. They didn't have something that that they really focused on of like, you know, okay, I'm going to get out of here in October, uh, December so I can see my wife. I'm going to get out of here in December so I can see my wife. It was just, I'm going to get out of here in December. Yeah. that Their y- why that became happen. a date.
2: Yeah, like you can't...
0: <clears throat> so there was no... They were optimistic that they were going to get out, but there was no like true hope or meaning behind that optimism of... Well, there's no purpose to get out. I have to get out
3: because of this. Yes.
0: Well, So, yeah. so they couldn't move on to the next December. They just, they just lost it. They, what, they would lost all just, hope and what,
3: they just... They were done. What you just mentioned was one of the... Hardest parts of the book for me. I mean, y'all talked about how heavy this was and reading the stories of what they went through, but I thought one of the saddest, worst things was the people that had the why to stay alive for their family. And they were all dead. And then they got home and there was no family. Which happened to him. Which like, happened to Franco. Yeah. And I mean, can you imagine, like, I mean, how many people committed suicide <clears throat> after they got out of the concentration camp and realized that they they were there for nothing because
1: their whole why was Gone. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That, so you know, that happened to him, and he actually went through. It's not in this book, but this is in some of the other rabbit hole I went down. He went through other podcasts he listened to. He went through depression, so. and his grandson actually talks about it. He's still out there talking uh, about this experience, and uh, and he went through this depression because that exactly it had, makes sense. He got yeah. home. He, you know, his wife was a big part of his why. Getting home to see her. He already knew his parents were dead. He got home. She was dead. Many of the people he cared about were dead. And so then it got back to the manuscript, right? Well, I've got to finish the manuscript. But it I, he had—he it was a tough road for him for quite a while to get get over that, what he called a, oh, there was a name for it, and I can't remember, but the disillusionment that he felt from many so of the things he survivor's was living guilt. for. Yeah, so he, for, he had, <clears throat> just to put in perspective
0: for people, because it's something I hadn't underlined, and I'm— I underlined it because it reminds me of my time in the army. It's not that it was anywhere near anything that he went through. It wasn't that it was when you're apart for so long and then you're going through, you know, whether it was, I was going through selection. I was in ranger school was one where it's, it's, it's less than ideal and a situation or whatever environment. And you just can't be with your wife. You do kind of cling on it. And it reminded me, of, of it to a degree, a much, much, much lesser degree than what Victor went through um, and did. But I underlined it because he said, he said, I heard her answering me because he would talk to her. They would be in the middle of uh, the field or you know digging a trench or something, setting tracks or whatever the hell they were doing. And he said, I would I heard her answering me. I saw her smile, her frank and encouraging look, real or not, her look was... was then more luminous than the sun, which was beginning to rise. He said, and then, so he goes on later to say the truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. And you know, that's, that's what he would do. That was, that was his reprieve. That was his escape was he would just, he would talk to his wife quietly. So the guards couldn't hear, but he would see her and he would talk with her and on their marches out to the work, whatever they had to go do, and then marches back. I mean, he would sit there and have a conversation with her. And I remember, you know, being really cold in Ranger School and hadn't eaten and stuff. So it was maybe the closest I could get to that, which again, it just not even, it's a one hundredth of what he actually went through. But I remember you got your mind has to go somewhere, right? And so <clears throat> it it it's amazing how many of the guys, especially those that were married, um, would talk about their wives. And just talk about like home, and talk about, and it wasn't like sexual. It wasn't. It wasn't, you know, where you think like locker room talk kind of stuff. It was very deep. It was very intimate, and it was just interesting. And then to hear to to read that, it just reminded me. I don't know what it is, but I do think that that I don't know was something that struck me as very interesting. Mm-hmm. But you know, for that, I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that being having those conversations, seeing those visions, and and talking to my wife, and then getting out and then finding that she passed. Oh, yeah. She she was killed in a gas chamber
3: years before. Some positive news in this depressing podcast. Um, they just found one of those Nazi bitches that's been in hiding for 50 years. She's no way. Like 97 really? years old. In Argentina? I don't remember where she was, but they literally just found her in the past couple of weeks. Wow.
0: Where? I want to know where she, she was. Had been tre-
3: she had been, um, <clears throat> I mean, she had like, she was... I don't remember what her position was, but it said she was responsible for. I mean, it had hundreds of deaths, um, and she had been put through the war crimes trial, and somehow fled and got out, and she's been in hiding her whole life. And they just found and her.
1: don't you wonder what she's like now?
3: I know. Can you right. little grandma next door? Love to love to have a conversation well, she with might that be, lady. Cause that
1: was, I thought that was one of the interesting things about this. It, it does, you know, he, he did really, tell you about that, right? He, he definitely highlights man's inhumanity to man. And he says there's, there's fundamentally two races at the end of the day. There's not black, white, German, American, there's decent people and, and evil people. And yet the same man can be in both camps at different times of their lives. Right? Absolutely. And he talked about one of the, uh, one of the guards who was particularly evil and ruthless who would just look for reasons to beat you and he said he he ran into a a man who was a a prisoner with that guard after the war after that guard had become a, a war war crimes prisoner and the guy that was with him said he was the sweetest most gentle kindest man in the entire prison camp and and frankel was like you know he couldn't kind of get his mind around how can that be the same person that beat me and he said that's when I quit judging you know I realized that could be me and and, and even he talked to he, this was I thought rather <laughs> profound along the same lines at the beginning he said you know to survive what I survived with those of us who got out of the camp survived we had to do some awful things we had to betray people we had to lie the best of us steal, didn't make it the best of us didn't make it I thought, wow, that's, and he seems like a pretty decent guy, right? Yeah. Now, but now. you think what he had to do to, to make it out of that, it probably, he probably had to do some pretty
3: nasty things. And that's a point that I think a lot of people struggle with is realizing that nobody is good or evil. Everybody's All known. the time. It's not black and white. Everybody has both it's a spectrum of gray like there, there's, 100%, yeah, there's no and we're made up of situations and decisions at different times in our life and and we're complicated
0: <clears throat> i i disagree that it's that there is no black and white i would i would argue there is black and white except that none of us every single person here has chosen black
2: Okay, yeah, I probably should refer, there is black and white. Okay, so you could say like the Dalai Lama, Jesus. That's about as white as you get. <laughs> yeah. And then you have people on the other, like Ted Bundy, who are just soci, sociopaths. Like some of these SS leaders that ran the camps and all that. The guy, it, Shino's List, the one who ran the camp, that man was about as evil as you can possibly be. So, yes, there is black and white in some sense, but your average person is well, I a series <clears> of gray in that you... Yeah, there's a scale. Like,
3: But I get that, that, that guy had moments your, where... At, pushing his,
2: your, average, your average person, and I think when I took the course that I took, I actually, my thesis paper for that course was how do you get normal people to do the horrible things that you are. So I wrote my, pa- my paper on the Einsatzgruppen. So the Einsatzgruppen were the kill squads that they used prior. I like to- you're
0: pronunciating that correctly. That's
2: proper. It was the kill squads that they used in Poland prior to implementing the death camps. Mm-hmm. So they would actually just have a battalion of SS go out, go into a town and say, give me your Jews. And They would round up all the Jews. They would take them
1: out to a field and they would shoot them. And and those were presumably fathers and husbands and fundamentally decent people bef- who
2: the scary people did that right were not the SS because those guys were crazy. Those are the ones like the early SS. They were brought in <clears throat> and they would they'd give you a German Shepherd to raise, and before you got your your SS your lightning bolts, they told you to kill a dog, mm. and you had to kill a dog. So. You're not. You're talking about people who are already prone to violence or accepting sure. of it. No, no. The scary ones were when they would walk into that village and say, "Give me the Jews." It would be the normal townsfolk.
1: The Campos. Yes. That you talked
2: about. In the book, yes. Right? The yes, Campos. The, the, the capos. The capos who would come in and they go, "All right." And they said, and there's firsthand accounts of some of these SS soldiers who would say, "Like we wouldn't even have to kill anybody." We would just give permission to do it, and they would round up and they beat people to death in the middle of the street. They take a baseball—not a baseball bat, but like a club—and just beat people to death. You're talking neighbors. So you, this would be a town like back in the day. You didn't move cross country. Right. Like you, uh, your yeah. whole family was from an area, and you lived there your entire life. This is who you lived and grew up next to. They received permission to do it, and all of a sudden, they went from being neighbors to. I'm going to beat that person to death.
1: That was one of the hard things that really was disturbing and hard to get your mind around was the Capos the were the Jews, were in, Jews in the camps who were like the, the head. They, they were said, elevated to a level and of And he goes,
2: they were sometimes more brutal than the SS than the guards.
1: SS, And so you had some SS who maybe were fundamentally decent people and didn't want to beat the Jews, so they would delegate it to the Capos. And the Capos would brutally beat their own people. who That, that could have been them. It was them. And, very likely it could be a neighbor because yeah. a lot of times they were
2: from the same areas. Right. Like that's, yeah. That yeah. was the part that was, when I wrote that paper, was very tough to wrap my mind around and kind of get into that, that headspace of like, yeah, it's, it's easy to point out evil and go, that's evil. Hitler, evil. Very easy to write off. It's the ones, it's the gray that you're like, how do you, how did you do that? And that's scary. That's when you start to see that human, the human psyche is such a spectrum that it does get gnarly where
3: you're like, okay, that's, well, that's the, that's the struggle that we don't know and understand. I mean, none of us can put ourselves in that situation and say, which guy would we be when it comes down to what you'd do love we to say? You're not. Gonna of be course you want to like, say it all no, day. I would do that. But then it comes down to you make a decision on your survival.
1: Or your family's survival. Yeah,
3: yeah. He said he talked. I, I to like about.
1: That's what I like about the quote at the end of the book, where he says, uh, "He says we have come to know man as he really is." He says, "After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz, but also walked into it. He also is that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's prayer or the Shema Israel on his lips. In other words, man is a complex being capable of evil." Or good. The question is, what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of man will you be in the next moment? Wow.
0: Yeah. See, that's what I think. That's where. uh, That's what I'm saying with the black and white. I don't think that there there is a lot of gray. I think there is black and white. The issue is that we're all capable of both. That's in any moment in time. That's the gray. That's the gray. gray. No. When I think of gray, I think of like, you know what the right or wrong answer is, but you're going to do the wrong thing, knowing you're doing the wrong thing, but it's. Oh, because I, you have to. I guess when I say black or white, you're choosing I, to do the wrong. You know, like, I mean, you're not wholly right, evil or wholly right. good. Like, yeah. nobody the, is, the is black or
2: white. Like, right, we right. all kind of, and then you sway to those ends of the spectrum, kind of from moment to moment. Right, and there, and that's what I'm saying. When I, when I say no black or white, I mean yes, the SS when they're beating somebody, that's black. Like you're you're on that that's the the wrong spectrum. side. Yeah, 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 that's the wrong. But side when they're of the spectrum. home,
3: being a perfect father to their daughter. Yep. That very rarely do you have the person in different person situations.
2: Who holy good right. or holy no, I, evil. no one's like ho- yeah.
0: Correct. Well, no one is. I just think yeah, the I decisions think, think there are situations are some people that are
2: holy. I mean, like Ted Bundy. That man was No, know, you know, I mean,
0: like, yeah.
2: You have the social like and like I said, there were some of those SS guards, straight sociopaths. Those guys were
0: yeah, they're mentally ill. I
2: mean, yeah, they're like, they're like, like got off got off to being just as evil as they could be.
3: Hmm. What, what I was referring to with the concentration camps, one of the things that stuck out to me that I will never forget when I visited and you, you reminded me with the apes, but the science experiments. Dachau. Good. So that's, that's, mm. where doc, that's what Dachau most most. The things was. that they were doing, see really? how much air they could put into a human body mm. or...
2: Testament altitude, that oh, temperatures, drop dude. the temperature down to, okay, if you're at, at 40,000 I mean, feet and you're getting this much air yeah. and you're also at this temperature, how long do you survive? We and saw it's the like,
3: things that they were doing to these people by depriving them of food, but the things that they would do to them just for science purposes, mm-hmm. oh my God.
1: Because the they twins, didn't see them as humans. The twin studies. They were like
3: apes. They were just like apes. Mm-hmm. And the, Oh, man. Have you ever read into the twin
2: studies? Oh, that's gnarly. There was the oh god, what? Which doctor was it? He's the the main Nazi doctor. He would take twins and he would do one something to one of them, and see if it would have an effect on the other. Oh gosh. So like you start, he's it it, it it's a sociopath. Like yeah. you you start to get into right. like this is like when you have a serial killer who they like to torture somebody. It
3: give him a medical degree. Let him do his work.
2: Yeah, like th- this was not. It, it was science. science. Yeah, yeah like it, it was not. Like it was just. Hey, how can we hurt people? And then,
1: one of the things we toured in Austria, besides the the uh, Holocaust Museum, was a torture museum. I went there. It it wasn't amazing. That just the, the Iron the way Maiden men have designed to torture. Do other you remember men the Do you remember the pommel horse? No, the pommel
2: horse. You talking the, the triangle? Yes. Yeah. That splits you. So they take, oh, they take, take yo, a they take God, a pommel yeah. horse
3: and they sharpen it like a triangle. And then they tie weights you, to your and ankle. and then you straddle it, of course, naked. And then they slowly, <laughs> with, over with days, like a crank. And no, 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 no. They just put they, just, they put on your weights on your ankles, but they slowly <sighs> add them over time until you eventually just split right down the middle.
1: Jesus. Yeah. Some of the stuff they had there was like, who, who could ever speaking think of, of this?
3: the evils of man? Yeah, yeah, they no, have kidding. found
1: a lot of ways.
3: But uh yeah, so you're talking about the people in Munich denying this Joseph happened. Mingle,
2: mingle, the crazy doctor. That was he's the one that's
3: the p- the amount of people, and I, I've seen polls where you look at the statistics, and it's just jaw dropping. But the amount of people that in today's world. Don't believe that these things actually happened. How's that? Possible? That the Holocaust was made up. How's it possible? It's so frustrating that you've got so many people that do not learn from history, which obviously is bound to repeat it.
0: Um, and that's how.
3: That's why. Yeah. Because they just,
1: I guess, there's a, to believe. There's apparently a decent number of people <clears throat> who still think the earth's flat. <laughs> And we Kyrie make a joke Irving. about it, but they really think, I Ky- mean, Kyrie is Irving's possible? converting the whole so NBA. That, if you could make your <laughs> that was reach a f- bigger that with was this a, f- podcast, that was a 4chan push troll. back to Educate. the dark. It's not true.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. So that was a 4chan troll. That's how that started. So it was a bunch of internet nerds. They were on 4chan, which is like a old school Reddit more or less. And they started it as a troll of like, Oh, let's just, we'll just start saying this and we'll start posting about the earth being flat. Well, then it, slowly gain traction to where you now legitimately have people who think that the earth is flat. Wow. One third. What? Of? Of Americans don't believe six
0: million Jews are murdered.
1: I don't believe that. There's no way it's one third. There's no. <clears throat> Newsweek. <throat> yeah, well, I don't,
0: There's I don't no believe. way. I don't believe it.
1: <clears throat> that question have was you ever worded weirdly. I mean have you really in your life a new survey shows anyone? over okay so here's
2: another article a new survey shows over one in ten young Americans have never heard of the Holocaust I don't doubt that
1: no that I
0: could believe
2: I actually mean, I'm
1: kind of surprised it's not higher than that 3, I am too three in ten couldn't name the vice president
2: one of the most disturbing revelations or revelations the survey noted that is that 11% Devil. of respondents That's believe Jews caused the <laughs> Holocaust
1: oh, okay okay
0: that's not quite.
2: So I think the one third is from what I've heard of this statistic. Is it's they they disagree with the number.
1: Mm. Oh, okay. okay, so only they four was, million people. Yeah, like oh, it's only
2: a million or oh, whatever. Well, like, okay, they don't believe the six million because, as they said, it would be impossible to do that. I don't think they fully understand the amount of dedication that the Germans put into yeah. making this happen. Yeah. Wow. Which is also a whole other side tangent here is the amount of F I mean, you were in the military logistics wins wars. The amount of logistics put into operating and moving 6 million people to eradicate a whole group of people is absolutely asinine and like what if they had, what if they put, put that effort into winning the war that's exactly <laughs> no no there, there have been whole studies on this <clears throat> they they wouldn't because american production ended up winning the war like we were out producing them five to one and we mm. killed all of their facts so like it, it was it was a matter of time but if they would have put that focus into the war, like right. the actual war effort, yeah, they think that it would have gone on for potentially another fight. Like they could have stalemated it out. Right. And we had to plea for, for truce and they could have had lands that, you know, like it would have been more of a stalemate rather than a, an outright victory. But yeah, like you look you know, at the, the amount of logistics that go into that is absolutely nuts. They could, yeah. have,
1: they could have put it off long enough for the Democrats to give up and started wanting us to pull out of the war. There yeah, it sorry. Is. Did I say that? There, no, How no, dare there you? Me.
2: No, the well, the casualty loss, like the casualty loss, would have been so Take extreme that, that, that we retract. couldn't. That, I
3: retract. Like, not Can't say the D word here. I, I s- said that. Say that on here. There is no retracting. Um, Nash, you obviously studied. Here we go again. <laughs> good what lord. The um, um, Twilight, twilight, twilight Zone <laughs> has entered the chat. Um, <laughs> Nash, you obviously studied this in college. It sounds like. Um, why did they take care of them at all? Why did they feed them? I mean, they, they didn't. Well, I mean, they gave them bread. They gave them uh, soup. Very minimal, like, they didn't work. But why? Work.
1: work. So just as,
3: so they just Slave for labor, labor. purposes. Slave okay. Labor. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I you, thought about that. When that's I was why you hear
2: him talk about the the Muslims of like who were basic like they would label you right off the bat of like. Able body, not able body. You not able,
3: dead. Dead. Okay, dead.
2: Like if you have, if I have anything in you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna extract whatever I can from you until you're done. You're gonna work. I'm gonna work you literally to the bone until you die, and then I'm
3: gonna get rid of you. Gotcha. Makes sense. So
0: I'm gonna bring it back to the book for just a second, and um, but why? We
3: were just starting to talk about Democrats.
0: I mean, that's fine. We can bash them later. So um, this is what the Democrats are trying to do to us. Here shortly. Um, so that'll um, get you canceled real quick. Vaccine card died. <laughs> uh,
2: God, what's her name from Mandalorian? Who made that, who made that, uh, Gina Carano. She Dude, made that exact same.
3: And was she, R. I. P. Really,
0: she, I don't feel like she was that wrong. She was be not honest. honest, at all. Well, no, it, she wasn't even composed. trying to say anything like that crazy. She, well, was no, just,
2: she, she wasn't comparing it to the Holocaust and that's what people took out of context. No, she wasn't. She was saying that the first steps to enable the Holocaust is you turn people against and make somebody subhuman.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's
2: what Germany did to <clears throat> the deplorables was it was you're Jewish, you're uh, wealthy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, you, were, you were the enemy because of X, Y, and Z. Like yeah. gypsies, they hated gypsies, hated gays.
0: So, all right, so I thought on page 121, um, this is the second half of the book, so he starts talking a little bit more about logotherapy, he starts getting a little bit more into psychology, and um, I thought this was very cool, and it's a little bit, it's pretty deep, but it does make a lot of sense. So he is trying to make the argument, and he says, I should say, having been is the surest kind of being. And so he later goes on to explain. So he says a man can reflect the pride and joy on all the richness set down in these notes on all the life he has already lived to the fullest. What will it matter to him if he notices that he is growing old? Has he any reason to envy the young people whom he sees or wax nostalgic over his own lost youth? What reasons has he to envy a young person for the possibilities that a young person has the future, which is in store for him? No, thank you. No, thank you is what he said is what the old dude should say. He will think instead of possibilities. I have realities in my past. Not only the reality of work done and love loved, but of suffering sufferings, bravely suffered these sufferings are even the things of which i am most proud of though these are things which cannot inspire envy so i he talks about like when you get to the point where you are you've lived with meaning and you've lived successfully that there is no regret you can look at those people that have all their whole life ahead of them and you don't care because you've you've well, you know both it.
2: the wins and the losses that come with that, and I yeah. think that's that's a very reflective and that's a wise statement. But is that like, ultimately the goal? A, is yes. Is that not yeah, the goal I, I think, of living I, with meaning? I think that's what you should to get aim to, there? to live to. Yeah, is that you do not regret the life that you live because you lived it.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
2: Like I, I think, I just thought that was such
0: a beautiful way of putting it, and a beautiful way of like explaining and like putting that perspective on. Like, you know, I should say, having been is the surest kind of being. It's not living in the moment. It's not. It's not uh, living for the present or living for the future. It's. I've already done it. I've already. Well, I've mean, been there.
2: To, to have like a more <clears throat> lighthearted spin on that, that's kind of like the. Would you go back and relive high school? Hell no! Yes. No.
3: Fuck no! Of like, this one hundred percent.
0: I know. Like, see, no, 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 I, like, just, no. I knew you were going to say yes. Now, or no. I had I don't the, know. no some,
2: question. Somebody asked me this question the other day: Would you rather go back to ten years old with the knowledge you have now, or jump forward twenty-five years with fifty million dollars?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Go backwards. No, so backwards. I would go.
1: I would go no. back ten
2: years. I yeah, would go back to sure. ten years old. Yeah, like, I would be
0: worth fifty million dollars. There you go. Yeah, like <laughs> I'd be worth fifty million by the time I was twenty. Like, right, yeah. Yeah,
2: like, like give me Amazon. Give me Microsoft. Give me Bitcoin. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's do this. Like, but to redo it for the sake of redoing it, no, because you know I went through it, and for all the good times, I also remember the bad times, and it's like I don't know if I, I like I lived that already. I don't want to have to go through that, again, I remember being an awkward teenage boy and, like...
1: So, uh, I, I, I highlighted that, too, because especially as, as the oldest guy in the room here. By uh, at least 50 years. Maybe a decade. <laughs> Maybe a decade. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody Just can see us. It doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it talks about, it's a life well lived. And so, oldest guy in the room and getting close to burying my dad. And so understand the, the reality of looking back at your life, you know, you can look at a 20 year old and envy, you know, their, their abs or some of the things that they're able to do that, that you're not anymore, but to wish you could go back. No, not at all. I mean, because yeah, I have the realities of a life with yes. for better or worse, right? Not that it's been perfect or that I'm happy with every choice I made, but it's the choice I made. And I have the, I have, I have the reality of looking back at it and knowing how it's working out and being able to, use that knowledge that I have to make better decisions going forward um, or the same decisions going forward. Whereas a young person, yeah, you have potential, but you haven't, you haven't done it yet. You know, you have it exactly. And I think that that's
0: something that's, uh, I had it in my head when you said something, you, you sparked a wise moment in my brain.
3: Doubt it. <laughs> well, it's, it's,
0: it's very short lived. So it disappeared. <laughs> Um, but I think that that's something that I've always tried to have foresight on and thought about. And that's, that's ultimately one of the huge reasons why I joined the military after graduating college. It was something I wanted to do forever. And, and I knew that if I didn't do it, it was kind of then or at that point or never going to happen. And I knew that if I, if I never did it, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And so I go back and you know, I think back to it and there's, there's plenty of times where I don't, I don't want to do that again. There was a lot of moments in ranger school and being cold and hungry and all that other stuff and being in deployments and being shot at where I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that again, but I'm extremely proud of the fact that I did it. And I'm very, I feel very satisfied and fulfilled because I did it. Um, But I can think back now, I mean, my, I remember my brother-in-law and a couple other guys, they wanted to really go rough it. They wanted to go camp and like bare minimum and like really just, they <laughs> kind of wanted to test themselves. And I remember thinking like, nah, I'm good. And they're like, yeah. what? <laughs> Been there, done that. Like don't a, need to do it again. Yeah, they're like, it sucks. Wait, like, bro, yeah, you, you don't s- want to do that. <laughs> you scared? You're like a ranger. And I'm like, no, dumbass. I've done it. Like, <laughs> I got nothing to prove to myself anymore. Like, give me coffee and, like, a really nice tent and, like, a really expensive sleeping bag and I'll go. But other than that, like, I have I I've box. done yeah. that reality, lived it. I ain't doing that again. Like, I don't need to. And I think that's what kind of reminds me of that, too, is just once you've lived it, you're good. Like, you've satisfied some of those things. And that's that's great. Does anybody have anything else? That
1: was a pretty good stopping point honestly. Well, it was the only, you know, just on the whole logo th- we didn't get into logo therapy that much, but you know, as a philo- you know, as a philosophy, as a psycho uh, analysis theory, I really like it. You know, that's mm-hmm. one I think that's one of the reasons I like this whole book is is that it just fits with my life philosophy, right? You you make your choices, you're responsible for them for better or worse. And To the extent you do things that matter in your life, and you have goals and are goal driven, and have a worthy pursuit, well, and and find meaning through
2: struggle. Go, go do hard things. Like, go do hard things because it's gonna it when you're at the very bare minimum. When you're stripped down, you're gonna find out what means the most to you. Yeah,
3: I love what you just said, though, Brian. Is that you make your choices, you live with the results, and that there's accountability there. And I, that is a message that we need as a people right now. And how often do we hear that life isn't fair? Or, like it's not supposed to be, Mm-mm. you're yeah. supposed to deal with your situation. Life's a bitch, then you die. Like that, yeah. that like life sucks. And then you die. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's it's like, one like, of my mottos.
2: <laughs> and that's, and that's not a pessimist. It's just bar like,
3: creates happiness. Well,
2: and <laughs> that's one of those, you know, I love Goggins book because you know, embrace the suck. Yeah, Roger that. I like. I love that mentality of just like, yeah, you're gonna have hard times, and you know what? Enjoy it because it's not always gonna be hard. Yeah. Learn from it.
1: Yeah, and you will come out better on the other side.
2: Like we talked about those. Those are the best stories are the ones that suck because you're gonna, as time moves on, you forget how bad it sucks. Right. Like, you don't really remember just how much. No. Like I know. Barbara, you talk about Ranger Selection School. I know you talk about being cold. Let's, Do you remember how much your hands hurt or your feet hurt? Like, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes.
3: My fingers,
0: my fingertips were numb for almost twelve months after. Damn. Really? Yeah. Are you yeah. serious? I did not have feeling in my fingertips. yes yeah, So I think it was it was almost a full year before I regained feeling in my fingers. So Kilimanjaro, like I remember, it, sound it sucked. Good. I don't no, remember. Yeah, that, that's permanent. You did nerve damage.
3: When well, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. came back
0: eventually, but yeah, no, it was. It took a long time. Would you put do your
3: finger over there trying to teach your kid how to use a pocket knife again?
0: No, I. Uh, I was. I just picked up a. Re- yeah. It's so small, very small, very sharp. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have uh, sharp edges. Yeah. I have Whereas very you can't coarse. You just physically himself. acted out to <laughs> see for himself. One of them, one of them got me. Uh, I, I was carrying a sign moving my office, and I cut it. But and and honestly, so like every one of my fingers looked like that. Um, oh yeah. with all over from splitting uh, when I was in ranger school. In the winter. So they, I mean, all that looked like that. Every one of us had them all over. And some of them were much bigger than that, much wider. And I remember trying to, un- like, when you change leadership, you have to you have to untie everything off of you with 550 cord and then tie it onto the next leader. And your fingers are just covered in splits and cuts. Well, you're and not you sleeping. You're not eating as much. Use you're your not, fingertips. Yeah, like, well, and you don't recover. Your body you on, doesn't no, recover. No, it doesn't. It, nothing's going to recover. Yeah. So you know, I remember that stuff. And that's why I say like, I just still remember it. And it's just, and it's funny because this has reminded me of that where I'm like, God dang it. Like, I remember when every single one of my fingers looked like that. And with two or three more on each finger where I was like, the worst thing you could do to be like, tie your shoes. Like, no, please don't tie my shoes. Like, cause I don't have fingertips <laughs> to use. Like I gotta use my teeth. My Shoelaces are frozen. Yeah. Like, I don't want to No, I just, let's keep them on. Mm. Um, and that's, that's something that, okay. So everybody, but, but you do, barber. No, no, no. You, but you do forgets. remember a lot. You do forget a lot of the stuff, and you do tend to think back and and remember the fun things, even though it sucked. There were still some really funny go. moments yes. in Ranger yes. School, and there were times where and you that's remember those more than those. you do. yeah like you
2: don't remember the like stuck in a. 10 mile ruck where you're like it's raining and yet, like yes you remember that moment but you don't remember how bad that sucked at that moment
0: like uh, and i don't think you don't think about it you don't you that doesn't come to mind it it only comes to mind with very specific it's not that you forget but you have to like you have high mo- yeah okay that's true concentrate yeah. on thinking about it right yeah. and remembering yeah. it it's it doesn't come to your mind of like oh wow yeah i remember where that happened like out of nowhere it's more like man i remember the time that uh, this dude like fell asleep and fell down a hill, and we all <laughs> laughed at him because he fell asleep walking and so it 's just <laughs> like those things are things you laugh at and funny and it's and you remember and you link back as like kind of enjoyable y- you don 't automatically go back to the yeah just the pure shit
2: and the longer you go away from it, the less you remember the shitty parts, mm-hmm. and the more you remember the victories, the more you remember the the not necessarily like good moments, but
1: why don 't we uh Let me talk about takeaways for a minute from this book. That's what we've been doing. I think that's the past hour. Well, I mean, like, what you really take away. Okay, so what's what's your final takeaway, Brian? My final takeaway is this, so... (laughs) Well, see well what going, I'm gonna do is I'm gonna well edit going to the out podcast. that part. Yeah. That
0: you said. <laughs> <laughs> see, so I get to edit this, so I get to seem like the smartest one here. So I'm gonna edit out the first part, and then it's just
1: gonna be me. So Brian, what do you think about I'm <laughs> to final takeaway? <laughs> so uh, I will say I loved this book. Uh I, you know, there's. There's books I've read at the time that I thought were great. And then two years later, you could say, did you read this book? And I'll be like, I think I did. I don't really remember. Oh, yeah, I did. And I liked it. Couldn't tell you much about it. This isn't one of those books. Uh, I love this book. Um, generally, I really like books where I can write down one or two or three things that I'm going to take away and do differently. And this wasn't that book. Um, and and I love it even more because what this book makes me want to do going away is is be a better human, you know. <coughs> Uh, It's made me realize I can be the guy running the concentration camp. I could be the evil guard. I can be that guy, right? Or I can be the guy trying to help somebody else get through it. Um, I can be the guy trying to help somebody who's been through it, right? And so what I took away from this book is just the question underscoring what kind of guy, what kind of man, what kind of person do you want to be? And really thinking about that question he asked about analyzing life's decisions from the perspective of your deathbed, right? Looking back 40 years from now, uh, what decision do I wish I'd make in this moment, right? And try to think more along those lines than what do I want to do right now? So that's what I took away from it. And uh, I'm glad that I read it. So I'm going to go with
3: uh, choosing the struggle. So, I mean, every single day, I think we have to make that decision of (laughs) which decision are we going to make? Are we going to take the easy road or the hard road and making sure that we are aware enough to choose the harder path because long-term that is going to make us tougher. It's going to help us enjoy our happiness more and take the right path. So, um, Suck it, Nash, but I'm going to enjoy the struggle.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was mine. Um, well, yeah, just really kind of a combination of those two, but that's... Yeah. I think sitting down and looking like, kind of from the deathbed, what, what is my big why? Like, what why am I doing what I'm doing and not the superficial, you know, oh, monetary goals or, oh, I want to... You know, I want to lift this much weight, or I want to go. Like th- those are all good things that you need it's, to have. It's pretty
0: important. Pretty <laughs> yeah. really important.
2: It, I think it's something that I haven't really sat down and thought too much about because you know, I kind of have just let life happen, and and not just completely submissive in that way. But I haven't really thought about like, okay, what from. 80 years from now, am I going to look back on and go, this is what I'm most proud of? Like, what what am I driving to on a daily basis that, that kind of gets me out of the bed? And, and again, yeah, taking the hard path. Not not necessarily going, oh, this is comfortable every day.
0: i I'm going to add the silence out.
3: Oh, excuse me.
0: Na, 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 na. so I think <clears throat> I, I mean honestly I agree with you Brian I think there's so much to take from this um, it's in reading it even the second time was is not enough I feel like it's definitely one of those books it's probably worth reading maybe once a year uh, or once every couple years to kind of remind yourself especially the second half um, the first half kind of sticks with you pretty good um, I remember like I could still remember the stories remember the different details of the first half the second half I had kind of missed and maybe the first time I read it I was just trying to read it really quickly it was um, and so I glossed over it I don't know but it definitely there was definitely more there now and I think as I get older and slightly wiser it'll be even more mainly older Important, yeah, definitely much older, yeah, probably I'll get you a wiser. So, <clears throat> um, you know, I have one to to pinpoint one. Um, I, I think it goes along with yours. So it's it's kind of the intentionality of it. It's the, it's when he talks about responsibility and the responsibleness mm-hmm. of of a, of a man. So he talks about. um You know, freedom, however, is not the last word. Freedom is only part of the story and half of the truth. Freedom is but the negative aspect of the whole phenomenon whose positive aspect is responsibility, responsibleness. In fact, freedom is in danger of degenerating into mere arbitrariness unless it is lived in terms of responsibleness. That is why I recommend the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, be supplemented by a statue of responsibility on the on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and he goes into talking about, you know, we are res- it's our responsibility to live the way we want to live, the way we should live, and we have to take responsibility in our actions. It's that ownership, right? It's the extreme ownership in our in our circumstances, and our decisions, and our faults, and our failures. And that was something that really stuck with me on. Um, a lot of what you said, it's, it's not up to chance. It's not up to, Hey man, I really hope this happens. I'm going to be really optimistic about it. It's no, I'm, I'm responsible for being a good husband. I'm, it's my responsibility to be a good husband. It's my responsibility to be a good business owner. It's my responsibility to be a good father. I'm responsible for those things and I need to make sure I do what I need to do to make that happen. I can't just sit back and think, man, I really hope that this works out and I end up being a really good father just hope it works out. No, fuck that. And I, it's my job. It's my responsibility to figure it out, learn, research, do what I got to do to make sure that I am a good father because it's my responsibility. I'm the only one that those poor bastards have. It's all on me, you know, and I... And I but God I, bless them. Yeah, yeah that's horrifying. <laughs> but, you know, I find myself, and you teach your kids that, and I tell my kids, like, it's up to you, you know. Stephen... Stephen made a mistake. He knowingly he knowingly disobeyed Renee yesterday, and it was it was nothing. He ate candy. wasn't supposed he was supposed to eat half a bag of M Ms. He ate the whole damn bag, and he act, he tried to act like he said he has. that. Right. Sounds like Stephen. Yeah, he said you, I Steven. forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but the more I thought about it, the more I I I you know she got mad at him, and that was really it. And and I I laid into him when I got home because the more I thought about it, I said, look, you knowingly made the wrong decision. You know you made the wrong decision. You chose to do that. And and that's that's just, you can't do that. You're always going to have a decision to make, and you're going to have to do the right thing, and it's never going to be, you know, a lot of times it it, it sucks. or It's times you don't want to do that. You don't want to make that decision, but you're going to have to. It's the suffering. You're going to have to suffer, even though it's you know, it's half a bag of candy instead yeah. of a full bag of chocolate, right? And he looked at me, and later he, he called me back in his room, this was last night, and he called me back in his room, and he, said, and he apologized. He said, look, I'm really, I just want to say I'm sorry again for, for choosing to do the wrong thing. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what, buddy? That's okay, and, and I forgive you, and you're going to make mistakes, and I make mistakes. But the, the biggest thing is that you look at that, and you learn from it, and you try to get better. You remember this moment, and you try to get better, and do the right thing the next time, and be better. So I screw up all the freaking time. I make all kinds of mistakes. And now I, but the worst thing you can do is just keep making that same mistake over and over and over again. And even my six year old son just kind of looked at me and was like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, like, don't do the same freaking thing over and over. And I think that, that to me, that responsible, being responsible for the way we live and how, and our future, I think is something that is, you know, very encouraging
1: i guess daunting yeah at the same time well said
0: but hey uh that was man's search for meaning victor franco please go read the book i think it's it's an amazing book um if you haven't read it yet or go read it and then come back listen to the podcast and And do not
3: listen to his podcast and (laughs) just read his book
0: no yeah just listen this this is the only podcast you need to be listened to right (laughs) um uh, but in all in <laughs> honesty, I do want some feedback. I want some, you know, I'd love to, for this to become probably scenario. They.
2: Don't do the Audible on this
0: one. People, Yeah,
2: okay. as, right. as the resident Audible guy, <laughs> uh, maybe don't do the Audible on this one. It's <coughs> a small it. book. You the can read, just yeah, read yeah, it. Yeah, like I would say re- reading is probably a better
0: option for this one. Yeah. Thank you for that, Audible man. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'd love some feedback I think you know I'd love to You're get to a ugly. point where people are reading not personal Solid feedback feedback <laughs> God Almighty yeah. fire crotch be quiet for just <laughs> oh, five seconds you can't say that <laughs> so we uh, I, I would love some feedback I'd love for people to go actually read the book come back listen to it share your thoughts things that stuck out to you we're on Instagram we're on Facebook uh, I would love for some people to, that maybe even although impossible, who thinks they're smarter than us to to bring in some points uh, that maybe we missed? So, except again, for
3: Jessica, we don't want her feedback.
0: Except for Jessica, we we don't mind her feedback, just not book recommendations. Uh, so, thanks again, guys. And the next book, of the book we are currently reading is oh, that's right, we have I am Five. too. You are too good to feel this bad. Yes, and it is by Nate Dallas. Nate Dallas, Attaboy. All right, so go check it out, read it, get prepared, be ready to go uh, so you can listen to our points, and then you can also contribute. Thank you. All right, End it, drop it, send it. This has been the Beyond Our Service podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, review, tell your friends all about us. This show can be found everywhere major podcasts are available. And if you'd like to reach out, please head over to beyondourservice.com and let us know what you think or find out how you can be a part of the show. See you next time.